Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Time to rise and shine. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's great to be alive. It is hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this Friday of the Faith Radio Fall Fundraiser. Oh, oh, oh. oh no, no, no. We're oh. done with that. We're done Ooh. with that. Oh. Back to regular programming. Yeah. Except that Paul and I are experiencing happy exhaustion this morning, and so... And this uh, this weird compulsion to say our phone number. Yes, 877-933-2484. Well, just because the text line is open, that's and it's true. fun to hear uh, from people. That's because true. otherwise, okay, we just, okay. you know, like, wonder, are we here all alone? No. No, we're not. No. Um, all right, so I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. Back to your regular programming. Thank you to everyone who participated so joyfully and so generously in the Faith Radio Fall Fundraiser. If you missed your opportunity, you know, there's still time. You um, you can visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com. If you're listening on the Faith Radio app, there's a way to give right there. And because you definitely have our number plugged in to your mind, if not yet your phone, you can text the word GIVE to 877 877- Nine three three twenty four eighty four. Okay, so here's a headline that I thought would be worthy of our discussion today, um, and maybe we could unpack it a little together um, and consider the the gospel implications um, of this headline news. So, the largest Hindu temple in the world, outside of India. Now, there's only going to be two temples larger than this one in India, but this is now the largest Hindu, Hindu temple in the world outside of India, and it is opening uh, next week in Robbinsville, New Jersey. So just think about that. Just consider this for just a moment. The largest Hindu temple in the world is going to open next week in, or the the largest Hindu temple in the world outside of India, again, is going to open next week in Robbinsville, New Jersey. It's taken 12 years. It has been a labor of love, 12,000 quote-unquote, volunteers uh, have participated in the planning and construction. Um, it is a complex that, uh, that covers 183 acres of land. Uh, it is enormous, um, and, uh, and it's described, you know, as a triumph of, uh, of, of the community of believers. And so uh, there are lots of opportunities here for conversation. Um, It's a conversation about the shifting religious landscape here in the United States. And you say, well, I mean, how many, what's the percentage of people in the United States who, um, who identify as Hindu? It's, it's a little less than 1%, a little less than 1% of the entire population of the United States identifies um, as, as Hindu. However, India is the largest country by population now in the world. It has surpassed China. And so there are a lot of folks in the world who identify as Hindu, including, notably, one candidate for the presidency. We have uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy um, on the Republican side of the conversation in our country uh, is a candidate for the office of the presidency. And so this is an important worldview conversation to have. 
Do, do people who identify as Hindu, which Vivek Ramaswamy does, do they have a different view of God than a person who identifies as a Christian? Do you know? Do you know what the Hindu view of God is? Because one of the things you hear very, very frequently from this individual on, um, you know, on the campaign stage is um, God is real. That's actually just like one of his favorite go-to campaign messages. He encourages faith. He encourages family and hard work and smaller government. But when he says faith and when he says God, what does he mean? Well, let me turn the question around to you. When you say faith, when you say you are a person of faith, what, what do you mean? Are you able to actually articulate and express what you mean when you encourage people to be people of faith? When you say we need a revival in America, what do you mean? When Vivek Ramaswamy says God is real, what does he mean? Well, when you say God is real, what do you mean? What God are we talking about? What do you know about his character and his ways? How are you demonstrating the reality of, uh, of, of who he is as you walk your faith in him out in the world that he loves? The God revealed in scripture, the God who I proclaim, the God who I know, the God in whom I place my faith uh, is a personal God. And he is God alone. There is no God but God. That is, um, that is not uh, the belief in Hinduism. Hinduism uh, has both monotheistic and polythe- polytheistic elements. What, you say? Yes. Hinduism has both monotheistic as well as polytheistic elements. You will hear uh, a, a person of the Hindu faith articulate some monotheistic tendencies. Talk about one god but also many gods. That's polytheism. So you'll, you'll hear uh, talk about the one ultimate reality or the supreme, supreme being, that's Brahman, who also exists simultaneously in the deities of uh, creator, sustainer, destroyer, um, Vishnu, Shiva, Brahma. Okay, so um, I'm just, I, I lift this up because I think that if we're going to be Christians engaged in the conversations of the day and we're actually going to be not just, you know, observing that the, the, the largest Hindu temple in the world outside of India um, is opening next week here in the United States of America and that we have a candidate running for the presidency who is of Hindu faith, we ought to, we ought to be people who are interested in um, who these people are and what they believe. What, what in the world are you doing out there in the culture um, if we're not engaging with people who do not yet believe in the God who has revealed himself in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the one who came in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who fills us now by the power of his spirit? That is personal, intensely personal, and it's redemptive, and it's true. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Our friend Adam Holtz is back from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm great. you have any thoughts on uh, the conversation that we're having uh, about um, people who identify as Hindu? I do. I, I want to just bring a couple things to the table. And I also 
want to say that every now and then my liberal arts education at the University of Iowa comes squarely <laughs> into play. Is that Go uh, Hawkeyes? I, it is Go Hawkeyes. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry mm-hmm. for my That's Minnesota okay. friends. But uh, I, I double majored in English and religion there. And one of the most interesting classes that I took was a class on the history of Hinduism. Um, and, and I want to just say two things. Much of what gets categorized as Hinduism is drawn from an epic, epic work uh, called the Mahabharata, which is, I believe, if I remember correctly from 30 years ago, uh, it's something like 23 times longer than the Bible. Mm-hmm. No, one, no one is reading just, the whole thing. No, nobody is reading the whole thing. Nobody's no. reading the whole thing, but most of it hasn't even been translated into English. Um, but what I wanted to say is when we think of even the word Hinduism, that term and that understanding was the British attempt as colonial, you know, interlopers, whatever you want to describe them as, as, as colonialists to describe an umbrella. It was an umbrella term that approximated some things that were true of this vast, vast expression of, of religion in India that included some 10,000 different gods. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, you name checked, you know, a couple, you may have heard of Vishnu, the destroyer or Brahman, or, you know, mm-hmm. those, there are some names that pop up, but, but even our, our way of talking about Hinduism is fundamentally modernist and that the British came in and they tried to understand it in a comparative sense but as a religious system of thought, it is wholly other. It is very, very different. And, you know, polytheistic starts to get at it, but it, it's just an entirely different way of thinking about religious expression. And it's not monolithic. It's not one thing. Like mm-hmm. we can talk about Orthodox Christianity or or even little o Orthodox Islam or other belief systems and have a sense of here's what it means to be uh, you know, a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian. It's a it's a a graspable uh, orthodoxy. Hinduism is really different than that. Um, and I think again, when we're talking about comparative religion, um, even though I got that at a secular school, the value of learning about religion is really having the ability to understand how these belief systems are radically different from each other, and they're not all the same thing. And so, anybody who casually says all religions lead to the same thing. Like, well, you haven't spent five minutes doing comparative religion because Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all say different things about who God is and they don't end up in the same place and they don't ask the same things of us. So I just wanted to toss that in and flex a little bit with my religion degree from 30 years ago. So <laughs> thanks for letting me do that. Absolutely. Um, when we come back, we're going to um, we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Holtz. We're going to um, we're going to talk about the blind, the story of Phil Robertson um, on Duck Dynasty. That might be a, uh, a review you are interested in hearing something about and also surprised by Oxford, the story of C.S. Lewis. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, have you noticed that the seasons are changing? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Paul, what are the indications that there's a the change in the seasons? <sighs> Cooler temperatures, mm-hmm. pumpkin spice no, everywhere. There you go. <sighs> yeah. The leaves, that. the leaves. Have the, you noticed? And the leaves. I was getting to have that. Have you noticed? Oh, yeah. Well, yes. yeah. Depending where you live, uh, depending where you live, particularly in the upper third of the United States of America, something something is afoot. 
Something is is changing, and uh, it's it's actually because you know those leaves aren't getting as much light as they were, so they're not uh, actually continue continuing to produce the chloroform that keeps them green, and so their true colors are beginning to show. And so you've you if you live in Colorado, I know that um, those aspen are beginning to uh, just shine with a radiant uh, gold. In other places, you're starting to see um, you know the red and the yellow and the orange come forth and so it's a it's a it's a fun time right it's a good time to change things up the change of seasons is a good time to change things up how might you change things up in your family life maybe you need a new liturgy maybe your family needs a new rhythm during this change of season Maybe you need a new way to get into conversations, creative ways to nourish your own soul and nourish your family, um, not only at this time of year, but throughout the year. Would you like to experience every season sacred? That's the a name of Kyla Craig's new book, Every Season Sacred, Reflections, Prayers, and Invitations to Nourish Your Soul and Nurture Your Family Through the Year. We're going we're gonna to start with the fall and work our way through the year, uh, living a wonderful life together. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God. Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Hey, our friend Adam Holtz is here from Focus on the Families, plugged in. All right, Adam, there's a lot of folks interested in The Blind, story of Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty. Uh, What do you know about it? Well, I know a lot about it. I I watched it and reviewed it this week. This is the story of Phil Robertson. And if you are a Duck Dynasty fan, uh, you know, part of Team Robertson. Who isn't? Who isn't? Well, you know, it's been a minute. Uh, The show was on from 2012 to 2017. So it's actually been out of the public consciousness uh, for about seven years now, even though Phil has continued to be very outspoken in his faith. you know, every now and then in the show, in the show, there were hints or allusions to Phil's rough past. And the short version is he grew up very, very poor uh, in Louisiana. He grew up with a mom who had severe mental illness and a dad who was often away working on an oil rig in Louisiana. Um, and so he was almost a surrogate parent. Um, he finds Miss Kay, Kay Carraway. Um, and they get married when she's a junior in high school and he's a freshman in college. Um, and this movie really tells their story. They were making an attempt to break out of that cycle of poverty. And she actually came from a family that was relatively much more wealthy than Phil's family, which was the definition of dirt poor. Um, but he gets seduced into, uh, into alcoholism and into a wild lifestyle. And he is 
somebody we find out who, when he's drunk, uh, he becomes vicious and mean. And so we see him wrestle with alcoholism. We see um, really more hints of, of domestic violence than outright depictions of it, although he does shove Miss Kay really hard in one scene and she hits her head on the refrigerator and he grabs her arm in another one and it scares her. But it, you know, one suspects that it might have been worse than that. Uh, there are hints in the movie that he may have been unfaithful. Uh, I think he has talked about that. The movie doesn't really go there explicitly. Uh, and then he gets to the end of his rope. He tells his wife to leave, which she does. And eventually he finds Jesus. So I think from a viewer standpoint, you may be surprised at how gritty this movie is. There's some profanity. And we certainly see, I think, a pretty realistic depiction of his alcoholism and the threat of domestic abuse. So as Christian movies go, this one is not squeaky clean. I appreciate that it's done, I think, a good job of trying to approximate hard things without being gratuitous content-wise, but it puts it solidly in PG-13 territory, and your listeners need to know that, Carmen. Yeah, and I think that leads us to, you know, uh, maybe a conversation about realism um, and being yep. realistic uh, in terms of what is portrayed. Um, they're probably, as you say, I mean, you know, there's people that they don't, they don't want to see any of that. And I, I understand that. Right. Like, I, I don't watch horror movies. I don't want uh, those images in my mind. I don't, I don't want to watch gratuitous violence um, or like the casual use of profane language, um, movies that have uh, graphic sex scenes. Like I, I don't, I walk out of movies uh, if, if right. there's something that, you know, like genuinely, I don't want, I don't want that in my head, but I also recognize that in the development of a, of a storyline, particularly a redemptive storyline, that redemption, redemption happens in the lives of people whose lives are really dark and gritty and real and terrible things happen and horrible things are said. And so I understand, um, you know, it, it's important in understanding what somebody is redeemed from to understand at least in part what what that life walking in darkness looked like. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you mentioned Surprised by Oxford. Uh, this is Carolyn Weber's memoir brought to the big screen. It came out a few years ago. And it's a similar thing. She goes to Oxford as a, a very inquisitive but deeply, staunchly unbelieving student and encounters Christ. And it's the story of her coming to Christ. So these stories are are different but similar in that they're both essentially a kind of cinematic memoir. Uh, and this one has quite a bit of content in it as well. And like you, I think we need to be able to, to ask the question, when is it appropriate or okay to depict that brokenness? And I said in my review of The Blind, it's really difficult to tell a story about brokenness without showing some of it. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and when we avoid it completely, I think it sends a message that the Christian faith is supposed to be this sanitized, squeaky clean thing. And um, certainly we are to avoid sin in all the ways we you talked about, whether in movies or and in our personal lives. Uh, but I think that there are people who rightly suggest sometimes sanitizing those movies, it there's an unreality to it that especially somebody who's not coming from a Christian background, they're not necessarily interested in a sanitized depiction of life. And when they see that they inherently distrust it. Um, now, having said that, like you said, even a little bit of profanity may be more than some people want to be exposed to. And mm -hmm. I think it's fine to say we don't want to watch those stories, but I do think that that Christian movie making 
is moving into a little bit more complexity with these issues. And there's an important conversation to be had about how do we depict brokenness without it being gratuitous? And I think all the content in the blind, the smoking, the drinking, a little bit of profanity, Phil Robertson's violence, none of it is glorified. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's clearly a bad thing here. And I think that's important too. If you're listening right now um, and you are going to going to watch um, actually either of these films, uh, The Blind or uh, Surprised by Oxford, um, let me just go ahead and prepare you in advance to be the person that becomes safe to tell. Because yeah. when, when we talk about there being content like this in a film um, and lots of Christians going to see these films – you may well be sitting next to somebody or have the opportunity to engage in a conversation with someone for whom something that happens in the movie is for them um, a a pretty strong trigger, um, an opportunity for them to talk about uh, the experience they're currently having in an abusive relationship or the struggle they're currently having, having, you know, with closet drinking or let's go down the list. Right. And so, um, it is an opportunity for us as Christians to be prepared to engage in redemptive conversations and to help people who are um, trapped in relationships where things are happening in the dark that now need to be brought to the light. So I think there's also an opportunity uh, here as well. Adam, um, we, we don't, we don't have any time to talk about reviews, but there are <laughs> reviews posted at pluggedin.com as well as all kinds of other great resources. So as always, my friend, thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Enjoy the conversation each week and hope your listeners do as well. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. That's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Uh, You're going to, in particular, definitely if you got little kids or grandkids, you're going to want to read the review of Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. I'll just uh, key that one up for you. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We are going to take a very brief break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Fall, winter, spring, summer, how are you going to make every season sacred? Kyla Craig is here. She's got a weekly invitation for each of us to grow spiritually alongside the children in our life. Kyla, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so this is really fun. I'm going to ask you what is going to sound a little bit like a rhetorical question, but I'm trying to get the juices flowing in the hearts and minds of everybody listening. So, Kyla, what's wrong with just following the world's patterns, the world's rhythms of the seasons? Mm -hmm. I mean, why aren't Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Easter, Mother's Day, and the 4th of July? Why why isn't that enough? (laughs) You know... What I love is that as believers, we are invited into more. We are invited into yes and, right? So those might not be inherently bad, but there's so much more for us. We are invited into the rhythms of Jesus's life. We are invited into kind of time and time again, a moment to breathe, a moment to reset, a moment to see God in our actual, real, everyday lives. And I, and I love that about being a believer and kind of following the church calendar alongside our natural seasons, alongside the holidays uh, in, in where we live. And, and I love that. So the rhythm of the book is fall, winter, spring, summer. I think that there are, yeah, and so I want to talk about why that particular order, I mean, obviously we're entering into the season of fall, so it's, you know, really timely, but (laughs) there's more to it than just, oh, hey, the book is going to release at this time of the year, so let's start there. (laughs) So can you just talk a little bit about that? 
you know, I think so many times as parents, fall is this invitation into a new beginning. Our kids are going to school. Our churches might be starting new rhythms. And it feels like you feel that kind of shift in the air. Even mm-hmm. if you live in a warmer climate, something's different, something's changing. And so I love that transitional nature of fall. It's not quite winter, but it's not the heat of the summer. It's this in-between moment. And I love that as a starting off point. When I wrote Every Season Sacred, I'm like, you can jump in, you can flip to whatever season we're in and start. But I love the invitations that kind of fall gives us to kind of jump in and reflect. Every Season Sacred is the book. You can connect with uh, Kyla and all of her resources, including this book, at kylacraig.com. Um, and is it Kyla or Kayla? I'm probably mispronouncing your name now that I You know, you can you can call me anything, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, usually me. Kayla. Mm-hmm. Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see that now. Um, all right, Kayla, thank you so much, um, first of all, for your graciousness and, and the joy in your voice. We love that. Um, oh, you start you. with noticing. Talk with us about yes. noticing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so often distracted, right? We have Mm. those cell phones in our hands all the time. You know, we have podcasts we can listen to all the time. We have radio, which can be fantastic, but sometimes we just need to cut the noise. We need to cut the distractions, cut reading the newsfeed, cut reading the headlines, and just be. And sometimes we don't do that until we're forced to do that, right? So so in the book I write about when I was going on a walk with my kids and I had my older kids were playing at the park. I was pushing my daughter in the stroller. I had a podcast queued up. I was ready to go. And then my phone died. I was out of battery. (laughs) And I was like, what am I going to do in this moment? I don't have anything to connect me, to entertain me, to inform me. And then I started listening and hearing the crunch of the leaves under my feet. I started hearing the birds. I started paying attention to neighbors that I hadn't even noticed who were outside. There was an elderly elderly neighbor who was picking up litter. And she was just doing that to just make our neighborhood better. And I would have wouldn't have even noticed if I had something distracting me. And so I think we so often fill our lives with so much, but there's so much waiting for us when we kind of cut the noise, when we take a step back. We can see God in our actual everyday lives. So in terms of helping us notice, I love, um, first of all, the breath prayer. As we Mm -hmm. inhale, we ask God to help me see you. And as we exhale in and around me. So yes, help me see you in and around me. That's just be, that's just beautiful. And then you offer us these wonderful family discussion questions at the end of the chapter, a prayer that we can pray together. And I want to talk about um, this resource at the end of every chapter that's called Put It Into Practice. Um, I had dinner last night with a kindergartner. And <laughs> in kindergarten yesterday, they talked about the five senses. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the uh, one of the things that they did in class was they took magazines and, you know, they found pictures in there that represented the five senses. And, you know, they cut them out like you do in kindergarten and they pasted them on a board. And apparently he had a magazine that featured a lot of cats because uh, as he was describing the pictures that he chose, every single one of them started with, well, it was a cat. So when we talk about um, putting into practice, noticing, can you, mm-hmm. can you share with us this put, put, in, put it into practice that you, um, that you include um, for us here? Because I just think this is an invitation that anybody can do anywhere on yes. any given day with anyone. Yes. And this is a grounding exercise that we do all the time in our home. We have a couple of family members that struggle with some anxiety. And so this is something we're putting into practice in our daily lives right now in my family. But I find that if you're 
feeling distracted, even when you turn everything off, your brain is still buzzing. Um, it can be really hard to just kind of wind down. And so what I find is helpful and what I hope resources the folks that turn to every season sacred is kind of doing the five, four, three, two, one. And mm-hmm. so first you just name five things you can see. So maybe it's your hands. Maybe you're looking at the sky, maybe in your office, you're seeing the pens on your desk, you know, wherever you are, just name five things. Then the next is four. And it's just things you can touch. You can physically feel. Is it your feet on the ground? Do you have your hand on a steering wheel? You know, just think about four things you can touch right now. And then it's three. What can you hear? Do you hear the wind blowing? Do you hear your kids laughing? Do you hear, you know, like you mentioned breath prayer, do you hear your own breath? And then it goes to two. And we go to smell, you know, what do you smell? Do you smell the leaves, coffee? Do you smell, you know, your minty gum or your minty toothpaste from the morning? And then the last thing is one thing you can taste. And just doing that five, four, three, two, one, it kind of resets our brains and it resets our bodies. And it just helps us notice what we're experiencing in the actual moment right now. I'm getting together um, in a week from now, like the weekend after this weekend, um, with some gals that uh, we do some take take some silent time together. And I'm going to mm. take this and do. I'm going to say let's let's everybody go outside and do this grounding exercise because I do think that um, we get we get so mentally distracted, we get spiritually yeah. distracted. This grounding exercise is good, not just for little kids and not just for mm-hmm. teenagers who are experiencing anxiety. This is, good. this is a good grounding exercise for every single one of us. You know, what are, what are five things? Let's just get out, get out there and sit on the ground, lay on the ground, whatever. What are five things you can see? Mm-hmm. What are four things yeah. you can physically feel? What are three things you can hear? Two things you can smell. One thing you can taste and then maybe, yeah. you know, take it to the next level and, um, you know, ask God, you know, let me, let me taste and see uh, the things mm-hmm. of you right now. I just, I, I just, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the, um, it's very calm and it's calming and, and the entire, uh, the entire rhythm that you're promoting feels like a rhythm of that's slower than the pace mm-hmm. of the world. Yes. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad that you sensed that because that was a really intentional, um, hope and prayer for me as I was working on this book is that every week there's something that kind of offers an exhale, right? Our world is so chaotic. Our lives are so chaotic, so full. So what can we turn to that doesn't feel like a have to, but feels more like a handhold and gives us a chance to just kind of breathe and reset in the chaos of our very full lives. Um, reflection two, uh, in every season sacred is peace. And it starts this way. They scream with tears in their eyes as they wrestle and fight. Mom, they shout, beckoning me, beckoning me to referee yet another match of brother versus brother. I sigh and I sit on the bedroom rug, motioning for them to take a seat next to me, arms crossed, brows furrowed, tearful, sweaty boys begrudgingly join me. I look into Abram's eyes, the one uh, that, uh, that holds uh, the big blue waves. Abram, the truest thing about you is that you are a beloved child of God. I look into Asher's eyes, chocolate with a honey glaze. Asher, the truest thing about you is that you are a beloved child of God. What is true for you is true for your brother, I say. The words you said, the way you chose to hurt and harm, those aren't the truest things about you. 
And your brother's words, the way he chose to hurt and harm, those aren't the truest things about him either. We talk about um, the way we are influencing our families, the way we're speaking into the lives of our children and grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, the children that God has placed within the sphere of our care. Um, How are we inviting them to grow spiritually? And how are we making every season sacred? That is Kayla Craig's brand new book. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Wow, what a season of giving. We're busting at the seams with gratitude. Thank you so much. I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen on listener-supported Faith Radio. Your generosity is humbling. Your prayerful financial partnership is inspiring. Thank you so much for giving and joining us as we bring that day to bear on this day and we make this day count for that day. If you didn't get a chance to give, you can make this day count for that day at MyFaithRadio.com. I am bigger and I am stronger than you and I am louder and I know uh, how to use my words to inflict great pain. And so that is what I will do because that is the way of the world and that is how I will get my way. Surely there is a better way to be raising our children and our grandchildren. Um, And when they are um, fighting with one another and acting in ways that um, are hurtful, are we just jumping right in? I mean, they're screaming, mom, are we just screaming right back? You know, they're physically engaged with one another in ways that are painful. Are we physically engaging then in ways that are equally painful? Like, that's just not the way. That's just not the way of the Lord, but it is the way of the world. And so one of the things that Kayla Craig is offering us in every season sacred are these examples of literally how to do it differently. And so when we talk about peace, Kayla, we started with this, you know, this image, this uh, the event of you sitting down with your boys on the carpet and talking about, you know, what what is what is true. Um, Mm -hmm. take us into that experience and then, um, and then, you know, take it further. Like, where do we go from affirming that the truest thing about you is you are a beloved child of God? We're going to affirm that about each one. And then we're going to affirm that it's true of the other one as well. Well, what, what, what's what's after that? What's next? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think about this moment. I was downstairs. I was writing. I was in the zone. It was so peaceful. And I come upstairs to just screaming, just yelling. And it's like, wow, that really took me out of that peaceful moment. Right. And I knew that in that moment when my kids were yelling at each other, they were crying, they were wrestling, something had gone terribly wrong. And that moment I could say, knock it off. You guys, this is not okay. And I could push back with them with more yelling, right? Or we could take a breath. We could sit down. We could look at each other and say, what is true about this moment? You know, we are kids first teachers. The, The kids in our lives, whether we're parents or grandparents, teachers, aunts and uncles, whatever it is, they're watching us. And the words that we say and how we say it, they're soaking that in, you know? So I wanted to tell my kids, the truest thing about you is not what your brother's shouting. It's not anything except that you are a beloved child of God. But as true as that is for you, it's true for your brother. And so I told them that you need to say this to each other and you need to look into each other's eyes and believe it because Jesus teaches us a different way where we don't have to fight with our words, where we don't have to fight with our hands. Instead, we can enter into a new rhythm. And I knew that I had to enter into that too, right? Because 
What I wanted to do was stay downstairs and continue my peaceful moment instead of going in and making peace with them. And so our kids are always reminding us and teaching us just as we are teaching our kids with the ways that we respond. I could have sent them to their room. I could have yelled at them. I could have said, just knock it off. I'm done. I don't have time for this. And, you know, I don't always get it right. But in that moment, I just felt like God was leading me to say, you know what? We're going to we're going to do something different this time. And, and I want you to remember that. Yeah. So much of this learning, Kayla, um, is new for us as adults. There's a mm-hmm. lot of people listening right now um, that when they were a child, nobody told them that the truest thing about themselves is that they are beloved of God. Yeah, there's, there's probably yeah. somebody hearing that for the very first time right now, that the, that the truest thing about you is that you are beloved of God. Mm-hmm. That is the truest thing about you. Um, the, the liar, the father of lies has, um, has been really busy and has a strong foothold, not only in our culture, it has a strong foothold in the media, um, the messages that flow into our lives. Um, many of the households, uh, or environments in which people were raised, you know, and so, um, when we talk about learning anew and afresh that every season can be sacred, um, that, every season, that every moment, that every day, that the rhythm of our family life can be radically radically changed. We have to learn some new things. We have to learn some new rhythms. We have to learn to pray. We have to learn to listen to different kinds of music. We have to learn to engage with scripture. I appreciate that you um, you use this book to do all of those things. You introduce us to some really old things that a lot of people will not be familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Lectio Divina is one of them. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff in this book that's just so rich and so great. Can we jump to the appendices really quickly? Yes. You know, I I was like, I've written 300 pages, but I need to add a little more. <laughs> I, want to, I want to resource parents and they can grab and find what works for them and what season of life they're in. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And the appendices of this book um, are fantastic. Again, we're talking about every season sacred. Kayla Craig is the author. You can find her and these resources at KaylaCraig.com. Um, what, what is the rule of life? Yes. Well, this is you know, it sounds overwhelming. Rules, right? Like what, what is this? And and for our life, that sounds, that sounds like a lot, but it's really just taking a minute to reflect, like, where do we want our family to be? How do we want to live so that we become more of who we want to be? It's these questions that we can kind of ask that can help us when we're making big choices about, are you going to take that job? Are we going to move into that neighborhood? You know, so just if there's just some questions, I break it down. It's a spiritual practice that has been around for thousands of years. And I just take it and really simplify it for busy families. So you can identify core values of who you want your family to be, you know, what matters most to you and why. And it just kind of guides you through some reflection so that your family can be on mission Mm -hmm. where you are right now. I love that. Your family has a mission, first of all. I think that's really critical to understand. Um, And uh, it's not just to get them to 18 so that we can let them loose. Like that's just Mm -hmm. not, that's not the goal of what we're doing. Um, 
Uh, I like that you invite us to write our own family liturgy and that you teach us how to do that. That is awesome. Um, I'm wondering if in closing, you could just read us a daily prayer, because that's one of the things that you do um, throughout the book and then in the appendices as well. Could could our walk off today be um, be you blessing us with a daily prayer? Oh, yes, I would love to. I would love to. I love the idea that we can make somebody else's words our own. So I would love to pray for everybody a prayer for morning. Oh, God of hope, we thank you for the breath in our lungs and the gift of a new day. As surely as the sun rises, your mercy covers the earth. We ask you to help us start fresh as we embark on the adventures you have for us. May all the people we meet today know us by our love. May all the things we do today be in worship of you. Thank you for the gift of another morning on your big, beautiful earth. Where there is pain, may we bring healing. Where there is suffering, May we bring hope. Be with each of us as we go about the day. And when the day is done, bring us home safely under the shelter of your wings. Amen. Kayla, what a gift. Thank you um, so much for joining us today and blessing us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Kayla Craig. I can send you her contact information directly if you want it on the text line, 877-933-2484. The book is Every Season sacred. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We don't know what's happening. <laughs> Sometimes. So, that, there you go. That's what was supposed to be happening. Instead, we offered you a moment of silence. Hopefully you used it well. Uh, I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Morning on the Faith Radio Network uh, here with Paul Perot. Um, here, here's the deal. I'm going to offer you the Friday Farm Report, uh, but it is very secondhand because I have not been on the farm this week. And so I asked Matthew last night on the phone, hey, I got to give a Friday farm report. What should I say? And he said, well, today we got four eggs and yesterday we, yesterday we got six and I don't know why. So there you go. That's part of the Friday farm report. Also, in addition to Weasley, who is one of our four calves, although they're kind of getting big enough that I think we're going to start calling them cows. Um, but one of our four calves who's just out of the fence all the time, like, I don't know, Weasley just prefers the outside of the fence to the inside. Well, Weasley has now been a bad influence on Jeffrey. And so now Jeffrey is wandering outside of the fence with Weasley and Matthew couldn't figure out how to get them back in, which, you know, doesn't really matter because, you know, what what really is inside or outside the fence? I don't know. If you just keep putting their food inside the fence, then won't eventually they go back in because, you know, the food is tasty and they want it. So there you go. Um, clearly over the weekend, I am going to have a project related to the fence and figuring, and and figuring out why the, the cows are so easily walking through it because that shouldn't be happening. Okay, so that's going on. Um, otherwise, as far as I know, everything's good. Um, you guys have asked, hey, how, how was, um, we picked all of our apples. I think I talked about that, and we made cider. Some of you have been asking, you know, how did that go? Um, yeah, we ended up with several gallons of cider, but nothing like um, like our friend who texted in this morning. Where was that? Jeff in Superior, they texted in a picture of, um, of, the, of their family um, at this change of season. 
um, you know, with their apple press, pressing their cider. And I got all excited sharing with him. Yeah, we got like 11 gallons from our apples this year. And um, and Jeff in Superior texted back, well, we got 40 gallons. <laughs> so if you need some apple cider, stop by and see Jeff in Superior, Wisconsin, where I'm sure the apple cider is superior. All right. Thank you so much. It's always wonderful to spend time with you. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your participation in our Faith Radio Fall Fundraiser. Ah. <sighs> All right, let's all exhale. Have a great weekend. We'll see you right back here uh, bright and squirrely on Monday morning. Our friend Dave Buring will be back, and we're going to talk about information overload. Yeah, we all might know a little something about that. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.